and welcome back to this is not a history lecture with Kat and Kaylee who are unpacking their childhood trauma. <laughs> Don't say that. My mom's going to call me and be like, what childhood trauma? <laughs> I think everyone who was raised in this generation has some form of like unintentional trauma. You know what my unintentional trauma is for my childhood? Having to watch Chitty Chitty Bang Bang with a child catcher. Okay, first of all, I did not like that movie. Second of all, no again, did. we're going back to the Monster Jam incident. <laughs> <laughs> There's three things you should know about Kaylee's childhood. It's the Monster Jam instrument in- incident. It all started with the Big Bang. <laughs> <laughs> and what was the third one I was about to say? Um, I don't know. I'm interested to see what you're going to say about my childhood. <sighs> As someone who's heard about it. It'll, it'll come to me later. Okay, also... Third thing, in my opinion, that you should know. Those are both two very legitimate ones. Third thing, in my opinion, that you should know is that my parents almost exclusively dressed me in tie-dye up until I was, like, seven years old. (laughs) I am not kidding. I did not realize that until very recently, and I was looking at some baby pictures, and almost every single one I was in, like, homemade tie-dye. Iconic. onesies, shirts, pants, the whole night. I'm not saying that was formative for you, but that was formative for you. It definitely was. I literally, I called my mom once I realized that. And I was like, why did you do that? <laughs> She's like, I don't know. It's fun. And I was like, you realize, like, that's probably why I am the way that I am. It's all the time, man. And she was like, well, yeah, it was a lot of tie-dye. I was like, Thanks. you didn't want a liberal daughter. I don't know why you dressed me in tie-dye <laughs> so from tie-dye. literally conception forward. <laughs> oh, man. But yeah. But I would say the three points of your childhood, but I think that might be a little bit more depressing than Monster Jam and tie-dye. Is that my religious trauma? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know me so well. <laughs> what are the other two? Wait. Oh, probably my celiac. My well, okay. If I celiac. had to guess, okay. it would be Lutheranism. Um... <laughs> Oh, band. I feel like band had a very big impact on you. It did. It wasn't traumatic. It was really good, but it was a yeah, huge impact. Not a trauma incident, yeah. but it had an impact I on was like, you. A hardcore band nerd. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> you can I tell. was also a horse girl. Still kinda am. <laughs> oh my god. Unpacking our traumas with Kat and Kaylee. <laughs> Again. It's not a trauma. It's I- not not all of it. Some of it was. Well, I don't consider the monster's trunk one was traumatic for you. It was. I remember (laughs) it. I remember my father standing in my doorway being like, oh, I didn't get tickets for you. And me being like, so sad. (laughs) I have the image in my mind. I'm sorry. I'm sure that's been bad. (laughs) Anyway. Anyway. Um, just thinking thoughts. Just a yeah. lot of thoughts I'm thinking. We've got a good show lined up for you today, I think. Yeah, we have our um, guests again. They're coming back for the 28th week in a row. Uh, we got our guest Catherine. Yeah. And our guest Kaylee. Yep. Um, headliners uh-huh. of this uh, uh, production here. Yep. Big, big names. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Someday you'll see it spread out on a marquee and I'll be famous. <laughs> Uh, no. Um, Listen, but- I am hoping that Kat, like, with her writing gets, like, published and shit. And I'm just going to write her coattails because she's going to be the one <laughs> that gets us listeners more than anything. Well, we, and 
we've had i was looking at the i mean we've been numbers doing and we've good. been doing really good and yeah. i like i was looking at the places they come from and we have such a wide i know variety like the netherlands and like germany and yeah spain like, and cool places yeah. so i think that'll also help me keep a more rounded non-eurocentric yeah. focus because i'm gonna like try to do a story from or person from each of the places oh, we've had cool. a listener yeah because that way like it'll also keep it in check for yeah. myself not to accidentally just get too like european no yeah and i was really excited too because today i found this massive article with a lot of really cool like women historical figures from like all over the world Ooh. and not just like england Love that. And it was like huge i wrote down like 10 names and i was like oh, wow. oh thank god because it's when you are from america it's really hard to find people talking about not american or not like western centric yeah. history and so it was, like, really nice to, like, find a resource that talked about all these really cool women. And I am so excited to do them in the future. So, yeah. Yeah. Mine ended up not being a Eurocentric thing today. And I learned a mine lot. Did. And it made me... Well, <laughs> mine made me also realize, like, I ended up writing down a lot of stuff I was seeing as I was yeah. writing because the, there, like, it's my like, notes. Yeah, because when you're doing non-stuff that you're not familiar with, everything that gets mentioned, you're like, oh, I can do that. Oh, yeah. I can do that. Oh, I can do that. Oh, I can do that. And it's really exciting because you're like, oh, there's all this history here. All the possibilities. Yes. It's a cool start. But, Kat, on a more important note than the entirety of history, Mm -hmm. you went to a high school reunion this weekend. Oh my god, I did. (laughs) Please do tell. I'm just really old. Um, I (laughs) sat in the corner away from everyone so that... I wouldn't have anyone unvaccinated near me, and we were outdoors, so I was literally, like, sitting on the edge of, like, the So it was, like, it was, like, high school again. Yeah. <laughs> Except the people I was friends with in high school who kind of, like, you know, mm-hmm, yeah, you know about that. Yeah, yeah. Um, but my actual, like, high school besties, who I'm still best friends with, uh, one of them was there, the other one had to bail, but that's, like, understandable. She was busy. Um, had something come up. But, like, the person that I ended up talking to the whole night, um was we weren't we're not that close in high school we had classes together but yeah. like I, I sat down just to do the formalities three hours later we were like best friends <laughs> so now we've been like sending each other like tiktoks and texting each other and it's funny. been great and it was just so nice because like she was always so nice in high school but she was so much cooler than me so i never <laughs> even thought of like approaching her so it's just really neat to learn that some like yeah. everyone changes and it makes me wonder you know mm-hmm. would we have been friends back then or would it have never worked out in chances where we you? needed to meet now no uh me and oh, okay this other girl <laughs> i was like i would have been your friend kid i would have been your friend i was the emo kid i had no issue with other weird kids awesome good <laughs> but and i did get to catch up with someone from like middle school that i hadn't Ooh, talked to in a long time and it was really nice to talk to him yeah. so i was like i just didn't ever have a like not once in high school did I have a class with him, but we were like tight yeah. in middle school, so it was really, really funny nice. how that happens. Yeah. yeah, and I was like, out of I, I swear I've had a class with every single person in the school except for like this one guy, and <laughs> yeah, it was so nice to talk to him. So yeah, well, that's good. I'm glad it went well. What was it? Was it like? In a, did they have dinner? Like it was like in a food truck park, so that we could be spread out and COVID safe. Okay. Um, yeah, and thankfully the people i talked to were all like nurses who are vaccinated or like yeah have children so they're vaccinated mm-hmm. and are you know have common sense so they're vaccinated yeah. so yeah. i felt safe you know being outdoors at the edge and if you wanted food or drink you could wander inside to get it but it wasn't like a packed restaurant or something like that okay yeah 
That's interesting. That's interesting. I've never, like, my parents did not go to high school reunions or anything. So, like, well, my dad dropped out of high school and my mom barely graduated. I don't know if my parents ever went to theirs. It was just, it was just nice to, you know me, though. I've never met a stranger. So, like, I could literally talk to anyone. No. I'm just curious, like, how they function. You know, like, how does it work? Ours was really casual. People just kind of, like, literally, it was just an enclosed pen, basically. And if you wanted to (laughs) talk to someone, you could. There was axe throwing nearby, too, though. So, one of my old friends, I got to watch her. Nice. She's a merchant marine, and this girl can throw an axe. Like, nice. So, yeah. yeah. It was fun, but how was your weekend while I was gone? Did you survive? Um... Survival, mere survival is also okay. It does not have to be particularly great. I'm trying to remember this weekend. Oh, okay. So, um, had my last day of work woo-hoo. on Friday. So, woo, done with that job. Uh, <laughs> we'll never do that job again. Understandable. That's all I'm going to say. Um, then, one of my roommates moved out. Grace, if you ever listen to this, good luck in Virginia. You're going to do great up there. You can do it, girl. Yeah. Um, which was kind of sad, but it's okay. I'm excited for her to move on from this very small town where we are. Mm-hmm. And since the suck people in. So her whole family where like, I still currently lives here, am. So. Wait, you don't watch this. The town. Do no, I love Okay. <laughs> what does she say? She's like Oh, the beautiful, the beautiful place. The wonderful town, the town where, where I, I currently am. That should be like our thing. <clears throat> this town where we currently are. That was yeah. funny. I love sugar. Whatever. Um yeah. focus. And uh so she's up in Virginia wishing her luck. Um she's starting a master's program, so that's really exciting. And then me and my other roommate, we like um since it's just gonna be the two of us for a little while, we kind of rearranged some things. Um we rearranged our whole kitchen. We spent like all of yesterday doing that. Oh nice. Uh and we went and like Marshalls and got some like new kitchen stuff that we're really excited Ooh, about. Ooh, very nice. And we made like a coffee bar and it's a lot of fun. Dang. So that does sound yeah. like fun. Um which my other roommate needed like a new start for other reasons. But um so I think it was good to do that. That's healthy. And, yeah. New school year, new start, last one. Well mm-hmm. not for not for her. Not she for has her. One more she has one more after, after this. this. But yeah. And like it might like the kitchen and stuff was fine before we did this, but they had already, like, kind of set everything up before mm-hmm. I could move in. Oh, and yeah. so, like, I didn't really have a hand in, like, how it was, like, laid out. And it, would like, worked fine, but it's, like, nice to be, like, oh, this is my house. Like, I, mm-hmm. you know, I helped yeah. to decide this is what we should do with the pots and pans, you know? Yeah. Um. So, that was, that's always a little bit of fun. Nice. And, yeah. Yay. And then this morning, I had a meeting with my professor I'm doing the thesis with. It went well. Oh, good. Um. Yeah. So, in person or on Zoom? On Zoom. Okay. Um, I gotta say, if she was in, if she was there today, I would have gone to see her, stop by, and said, "Yeah, no, she was, she was at her house with her model set in the background." I love her. I cannot wait for her classes with her, with her, with Mm -hmm. the model set. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, nice. That looks awesome. I cannot wait for her. It's like basically, if you've seen Beetlejuice. It's oh my god! It's like the in the attic, like when he's building like a miniature of the town. That's what it looks like she has behind her in her like Zoom thing. I like want to ask her about it. <laughs> like, hey, doctor. Hey. No. Yeah. No. Yeah. Yeah. Not even. Hi, hi, doctor. Hey, doctor. Who works in this program in the town where I currently am? <laughs> the town where I currently am. Um. Can you please explain to me what's going on behind you? Because that looks amazing. Mm-hmm. Um. But I've always liked miniature things, so I appreciate that. 
But other than that, that's all that happened to me this weekend. Well, very nice. Glad it's doing okay, and we are like two weeks out from school. If you've already started in school, good luck. May the good odds luck. be ever in your favor. Yeah. If your history teacher is crap, tweet at us what you need to learn from that week, and we'll do a topic on it. We'll that would actually be... That would actually be kind of cool. That's like... Yeah, we'll do it. We'll do like school, the stuff that they can't teach now because of CRT yeah. restrictions. <laughs> no, for real. If you're in high school and you have like a coach history teacher, not that that all coaches... Okay. Not that all coaches who are history teachers are bad, but the ones who were not history teachers first... That are not coaches qualified. first and yeah. are not qualified. I mean, I think everyone who is like a coach and history teacher... Like, we'll recognize that there's a problem there. Yeah. But. A coach in any topic, especially AP classes. Yeah. But that's a whole yeah. different rant for a different day. But if you yeah. ever need any history help, tweet at us. We'll email us. Tweet at us. <laughs> Our Twitter is at T-I-N-A-H-L. Okay, that's what I thought you were going to do, and then it was just oh, nothing. No, and our, like... our email is this is not a history lecture at gmail.com. And before we get into it, I would also like to just reiterate that please, please, please review us on Apple Podcasts. That's the number one way to help us out. And we would appreciate it a lot. Yeah. Um, and... I won't write your paper for you, but we'll tell you everything you need to know. Yeah, we're not going to write your paper for you. But if your history teacher is lacking, whether or not they're a coach, maybe they're just a bad teacher. Um, please let us know and we would be happy because that's why we're here. Yep. I know we kind of get into the weeds with like weird history because it's just a lot of fun, but we also need to like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I still want to do like big we'll history points. teach you the cool stuff. Yeah. Well, and mine is kind of a Yours more is. normal one today. Yeah. So it's going to be fun. And yeah. mine, honestly, like it's taught in like world history classes. I actually never so, really learned yours. Really? Mm-hmm. What um, I know is from actually theater. I guess that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. But mine is, I learned about mine very briefly, but I learned like the rough outline of what was mine. So yeah. Yeah. Well. All right. Mine is more of a thing than a person or event. Well, it's also kind of an event because things are also events because they have creation and invention dates. But alas. <laughs> wow. That's a great definition. I know. That was a thing really, is also an event. That was succinct. Um, <laughs> yeah. So. As you can see. Mm-hmm. It's been an interesting day for us. It has. I'm moving my mic closer to me, and hopefully Ooh, I can still reach my personal. hard lemonade. <laughs> it's been a day. Um, so <laughs> I will be Dad's de- unwinding with the mic's hard. I'm not unwinding with anything because my stomach hates me. Hey, but. girl. We all been... De- Usually it's opposite for us. So oh, That's really true. Anyway, anyway, we'll stop talking. I will start talking about the Great Wall of China. Ooh! Whoop, whoop. That's a big one. Mm-hmm. Literally. Literally. <laughs> yeah. That's funny. I know. That's <laughs> sorry. really funny. Um, I'll shut my mouth. I'm sorry. Go. So let's talk about what we currently know about the place where I am. No. About the Great Wall of China. <laughs> it is a currently a UNESCO heritage. Oh, my gosh. This is not. <laughs> it's currently. Maybe we should just start, stop and no, start No, I got over. this. I got this. <laughs> Okay. That was my Sharpay Sharpay. There you go. (laughs) It is a UNESCO World Heritage Site, but we actually have only about two-thirds of it surviving. A third of it has fallen into disrepair or literally fallen apart or just, like, it's not there anymore. Um, I'm going to debunk a couple myths about it first, one of which is very sad to me because I was told this in elementary school. Is it the see it from space thing? No. Ah. Although that is also... A debunked myth. Mine is the misconception that it is, it is the longest cemetery in the world. 
Oh. That was they told like, you that in elementary school? Yeah. I did this like awful what? like craft thing where we had oh, to lovely. like make a great wall out of clay, but they gave us lima beans to represent the humans. No, they did not. <laughs> no, they did not. Catherine. <gasps> no, they did not. Okay, I think we found the Maybe. third the third defining event in Kat's childhood. Oh maybe, my god. Maybe this would be bricks and mortar, but I I feel like I, I remember them telling us I was, was literally about bodies. to make a joke. I was about to make a joke. Oh, did you give me like skeletons for the bodies I to include? Give us lima beans. Lima beans. <laughs> that's worse. Oh my god. Of all the beads to represent human remains. Lima is just disrespectful. Lima is, I would be upset. I, would be so I feel mad. like I would haunt you if you yeah. chose to represent my undead remains I, as a lima bean. <laughs> oh my god. Yeah. Um, I was very sad when I found out that this was not true because I thought it was like the coolest, creepiest thing ever. Yeah, I always thought that too. Is it yeah. not? It is not. Um, so it looks like from what we now know, there's a historian from the Han Dynasty named... and. I'm apologizing now. Chinese pronunciation is hard. Uh, any pronunciation. I'm so sorry, guys. I'm going to try my yeah. best. Sima <laughs> Qian. The Qs in Chinese are pronounced ch, so I think yeah. it's Qian. So Sima Qian was the one who wrote about burying bodies in the walls, but a lot of people suspect that he actually just wasn't very happy with the political leaders of the time and was over-exaggerating stuff mm. to make them sound... Sounds like Calig- Bad. Caligula. Calig- Calig- Cal- Caligula. Yeah. But, um... The historians also always suspect that. Why can't historians ever let us have anything fun? Not I know. That well, the problem is they actually playing. haven't found any bodies in the walls. Okay, like, well, that's... They've, they've, yeah, that's they've looked and stuff and the <laughs> that, exposed yeah. areas. But, um... Come on. I'm like, give me one thing to, like... Maybe they just found a bunch of lima beans under there. <laughs> Ew. Um... <laughs> That's disgusting. Um, <laughs> Cooked lima beans. <laughs> Not the humans. The lima beans are the disgusting part. Hey, by this time, they're just bones. So I, yeah. Just like but, like, man, they got to ruin the one fantastical thing I thought I learned as a child. Dang. I know. And the, I'm also going to debunk the um, only visible from space in low orbit myth. Um, well, in orbit at all. Some people thought that maybe they could see it from low orbit if like they had the help of like really strong binoculars or something like that mm. or you know whatever mm-hmm. but um it was debunked in 2003 when a chinese astronaut yang liwei um made the trip up there and he was like yeah no you, you can't with the <laughs> terrain around it and Rip. everything you can't discern it with a naked eye that especially sucks. even from low orbit that's so. super lame should have built it bigger come on chinese <laughs> We're going to need a bigger boat. People. But it is the largest man-made project in the world in history. Not um, big enough. <laughs> <laughs> so there's old texts that confirm this use of the name and language. The Chinese don't call it the Great Wall of China. Um, they say Chang, meaning city or city wall. So Chang in front of Chen means not great but long so the full name chang chang means long city the mm-hmm. first one has an a the second one has an e okay. with my texas pronunciation i didn't know if you could tell um kind of get it but yeah like it's because it was bort built bort <laughs> <laughs> the, the great wall was built with these like wall as a walls around these cities and they all connected so to them it was one long city 
and not like a great wall but a long city um and the typical depiction of what we think of when we hear you know great wall of china like the the visual we have with that um is mostly what's left over from the ming dynasty and their Mm. contributions to the wall Mm -hmm. some parts were like big and grand like that other parts were super narrow actually or didn't even have enough space to walk along the top as a pathway you had to get the soldiers on the ground around it to walk along the base of the wall um and estimates vary of course on you know you you can't know possibly for sure but they think it took around a million people at least to build this wall through the years because this wow. was a this was not a single i didn't realize yeah, this. it was like not a single one and done on. project yeah. it was like multiple dynasties mm-hmm. contributed to this wall so north china is where it's at it is 1000 no i hmm. my <laughs> just calculator is about to kick my ass um <laughs> 13,170 miles or 21,196 kilometers and which is half the length of the equator I found out which when you think about it like that you're like Whoa. oh shit um <laughs> whoa okay is that with or without the third that was lost is it with I, I think with okay um gotcha like the distance it would cover okay um because mm-hmm. a lot of that's not like lost off it's not like someone just chopped a third off. Yeah. It's like bits and pieces. They like know it where it is. Yeah. 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 It's just crumbled. Um, ruins. Yeah. Yeah. And so the tallest area that we have left standing is 46 feet, which is 14 meters. But the average height along the wall is 20 to 23 feet or six to seven meters. The average width is approximately 21 feet, which is also 6.5 meters. And since it's built over such a variety of landscapes, the highest point on it it's actually 4,722 feet, which is about 1,439 meters. And that's the area that's, like, northwest of Beijing. Ah, uh, mountainous. Mm-hmm. So, long time to build, but they had to start somewhere. Um, the years I got on this varied extremely. Makes um, sense, yeah. Yeah. I mean, when you go to the BCE, like, it's crazy because if I think about BCE, I can't, you literally can't, like, picture people like me. Mm-hmm. in america because people like me didn't exist in america yeah i have european ancestry yeah if i think about that it's like rome or something yeah you know and so but like china straight up been there for a really long china time is old <laughs> but it means they have some like incredible history and culture Absolutely. there too yeah um so the earlier like i saw the general window somewhere between 770 and 476 bce but some of the stuff I saw went back even further than wow. that. that okay, was wow, that's like era. way... That's a big gap. That's like later than, or earlier than I was... No, it's a lot earlier than I was thinking. I was thinking around like 500 hmm. AD or something. Yeah, I figured it was at least in the 80s. No, it's like early. Huh. Yeah. Um. It, it, it honestly threw me off a little bit. Um, but yeah, so old stuff. <laughs> yeah, like just sometimes the timing? you just sit there and you're like, Whoa. I'm gonna ponder life. You ever like go to a historic place and you just like think about how old? I mean, I've said it before, the first time I ever went to a colony, I was like flipping out. Yeah. Being from Texas, a lot of stuff is not as old as it is. 150 even years the, max. Yeah, 150 max. And it's like going to a colony, you're like, uh. yeah. <laughs> I guess technically the Alamo. The missions no, are mean, older, ma- but 200 like 200 max. Yeah, that's like the oldest you get. Is yeah, unless you're years. like seeking out like the first house in Texas. Yeah, 
Um, uh. And there are, like, some native and in- indigenous sites in Texas that are still standing. Um, yeah. That are older, but... But they're the- not, like, you know, we can't walk in downtown Houston and see, like, yeah something older than 200 years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, yeah. Um, and it wasn't un- completed until much later. It grew a lot during the Ming Dynasty, but that didn't really necessarily mean it was the end of it. So it just kind of like peters around for, you know, a couple thousand years. Nice. Depending as, on when as, you believe as it started. As Walsh tend to do, I guess. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> um, it's truly a series of different outposts that were used for defense. So not just a wall, but like there were towers, barracks, garrison Think stations. Mulan. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> fortresses. Yeah, exactly. And other types of barriers to just create this unbroken line mm-hmm. for defense. And... They run parallel, you know, it's aided by rivers, mountains, other natural features in the terrain. Yeah. And, like, the earliest years, I'll get into this a little bit more, um, but, like, wall doesn't mean the same thing to everyone. Mm-hmm. You know, like, you're talking, like, north of the wall, like Game of Thrones, where you've got a <laughs> wall of ice that's, like, hundreds of feet tall. It's very different than, like, a chicken coop wall. So, yeah, 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 yeah. That, a great variety here. That makes sense to me. Yeah. But originally... People were building the their individual walls for protection of, like, their little town, their little farm, whatever. <laughs> but when they started putting them, you know, as a city, like, oh, we should join all of our walls together. Make a wall. A big wall. Wall. The daddy wall. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's what Do they not said. look at me. That's Do not what look they at me said. right now, Caleb. You said it. I... I didn't intend to say it like that. That sounded weird. Anyway. <laughs> anyway. So the real threats that they're worried about come from the nomadic tribes in the northern steep area. And yes. Step. Step. You're right. Yep. I am. Um, I literally <laughs> wrote it as steep in my notes. I it don't probably know why just got I put the extra E on the end. It probably did. Yeah. But my brain like read it knowing that it's pronounced step. <laughs> but my brain read it as steep. So... <laughs> Anyways, um, this nomadic northern invasion fear does come from the Mongols as well, but they come a lot later, like 880 or something like that, when at this time they're really more concerned about, like, the predecessors to the Huns and other nomadic gotcha. So groups. when they, like, first start this project. Yeah. Okay. There's other northern yeah groups that, like... They're you keeping know. someone out. Yeah. Yeah. And so... Confrontational confrontation with these groups is on and off for years, but you know it doesn't really like pick up into a noticeable like fear until the Mongols. If you're John mm-hmm. Green and you're listening to this, yes, you can play the little dun 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 dun. No, did you not watch Crash Course History? Crash Course History stressed me out. Oh, it was too much. I adored it. Okay, well, um. That was a John Green reference right there. So just, I assumed he had to thank when the you Mongols. said, if you're John Green, yes. I assumed it would be a John Green reference. Yeah. Well, <laughs> anyway, so by the time they connect all these walls, they're running from west to east China, mostly military purpose for defense, but it also made trade easier. So tariffs could be placed. It would be easier to protect themselves from groups outside of the wall. They were... Um, they were not always intense relations with the nomadic groups. Like, the ma- nomadic people sometimes face issues with herding. Like, if a drought or famine comes and you're a nomadic herding group, you have a huge problem because 
your livelihood comes from your animals. Your animals need somewhere to graze and drink. So um, sometimes they would move south looking for resources, even pillaging, pillaging Chinese settlements. But sometimes they had like a good professional trading relationship. Okay. Um, because the Chinese had a hard time raising horses on those lands because they're just not good for it. Yeah. But they could trade with the nomadic people and the nomadic people needed stuff like metal, tools, pottery, more sedentary stuff, agricultural uh-huh. revolution kind of stuff. Yeah. Stuff that you can't do if you're moving around all the time. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, you can't just build a... You can't like brick. have a farm and also like yeah. move locations every couple months. Exactly. Yeah. And to this day, the wall stretches... Across 15 provinces of China. Nice. Like, so you can tell how big it got over time versus yeah. where it started with these little city walls that, like, mm-hmm. let's keep out the nomads. But um, this this time period, I should say, it's not quite a dynasty. It's a time period before common era. It's 475 to 221 BCE. It's called the Warring States period, where you've mm-hmm. got a lot of movement and change in in what we know as China now. So, were walls always effective? No. Uh, multiple ancient areas were constructed for small-scale protection. Um, they had even, like, defense... It was more than just a wall in some areas, I guess is what I'm trying to say. It was also built for defense. Gotcha. And... This is instigated by the king of uh, Western Zhao Dynasty. So they add a couple like small sporadic towers here and there, and they're like, "Yeah, this is this is quality. This is gonna work." And then, um, <laughs> and then it doesn't. Yeah. Well, King Wen of Chu builds Fengchen Wall to protect a smaller area than the Great Wall is now, but mm-hmm. bigger than just a couple people on their okay. farms joined together. And they're like, "Oh, this is working great." Let's all do this with our little cities. Let's get a little medium wall. Not a great wall, but a medium wall. And <laughs> Okay, we're working up to it. Yeah. Yeah. And later, the first emperor of China, uh, Qin Shi Huang, who uh, dates 259 to 210 BCE. Like, still BCE, like, which is kind of impressive. Yeah, that's crazy. I'm like, dang, you've got really good records. Um, was able to kind of connect all these separate ones together into big... I'm going to say it. Big Daddy Wall again. Um, <laughs> I don't like At this that. point, it's just funny. Yeah. I think you should keep saying that. I should. <laughs> he used something called rammed earth, which is exactly <laughs> what it says. Stop. I just realized how bad that is now. Oh, my no! God. It would not have been as bad if, if you hadn't called it the Big Daddy Wall. <laughs> Can I please go back and redo the last 10 minutes of my life? Mm, well, you can, because I can delete that part, but I'm not going to. Oh, <laughs> uh, we're going to plow through that and pretend that yeah, none we're gonna of plow that through just happened. Yeah, we are. Stop! <laughs> I can't do this with you today. We're really sorry. <laughs> are we in middle school? Yeah. Anyway. Oh, um, so that term I used before, I'm not repeating it again, is when you pack soil down really tightly together in layers. Okay. Um, and then they used some wood and stuff in there at first, and as time went on and new techniques started to appear and develop, brick, granite, even some marble started to show up in the construction. Ooh, fancy. Mm-hmm. Very. And in 215 BCE, he ordered his general Meng Tian to start this project of merging it all together. 
And all of a sudden, everyone's just like, well, yeah, let's protect each other. It's like a community garden, but for, like, nice. military, you know? Just go for it. And he also calls for the destruction of any walls that, like, would alienate the populations around each other. So, like, huh. we're all walled in together. Yes. We are not walled apart from each other. Our wall. Yes. <laughs> uh, you don't watch Arrested Development. Okay. Um, <laughs> so, let's skip ahead a little bit to the Han Dynasty. The most relevant dynasties for the expansion of the wall were the Qin, Han, and Ming. So, in the Han Dynasty, Lui... Lu, no. Liu Che... Um, 156 to eight, yeah, to 87 BCE was Emperor Wu of the Han Dynasty, who did upkeep and improvements on the wall that already existed, as well as bringing the edges of the wall northwest, kind of China area. Like he's kind of expanding as he goes. And originally, he said he wanted to quote stop the Hu horses coming across the Yinshan Mountains. End quote. So. Keep in mind, too, that this is having a huge influence on trade and how safe people feel mm-hmm. trading. And the Silk Road is, is like, a huge influence. We've talked about this. Yeah. Like, um, it would offer some protection from robbers and the dangers of the trade route itself. Mm-hmm. So, as the Silk Road starts to reach further west, the uh, Han decide to push the wall all the way out that far, too. They make it to the Gobi Desert. The Gobi Desert. Yeah. Hmm. So, I have to look up a map. Hold on. Continue. Yeah, you're good. So some other dynasties uh, need this military support of the wall. You know, like, it's always there. You're not just going to tear down a wall that your last dynasty spent, like, forever making. But other dynasties didn't rely on it quite so much for military stuff. They were like, yeah, it's great to have this, but I'm also going to be a diplomat and just get along with other people. You know, not yeah. use a show of force. Because when things were good and not tense, the wall could be used for trade across its boundaries as well as, you know, I can safely follow this wall towards the Silk Road, but also, mm-hmm. like, yeah, the people above and below. Because, again, northerners are still going to need yeah, uh, util- utilities, um, things, goods. That's yeah. the word. <laughs> and- so, okay, uh, just if you're wondering, the Gobi Desert is a de- desert that is, like, southern Mongolia and northern China yeah. on that shared border. Okay. Just uh Yeah, we I'll I'll try to remember to tweet it out. Gotcha. I need to get better about that. Yes. Yeah. Um but with the trade across all this huge expanse of space and having the wall there, they start to kinda like focalize around it, so you get a lot of cities popping up along the sense. wall. Yeah. But eventually the Mongols make their move. Crash course kids know what's up. <laughs> <laughs> So, Maybe I wouldn't have been friends with you, Kat. <laughs> you know, I can't, I can't speak to the cat of then, but cat now thinks you're pretty cool. So. <gasps> oh, thank you. Yeah. Well, I'm friends with you now, so that's all that matters. I'm not friends with people I don't think are cool. Oh, thanks. Yeah. I think. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that was yeah. a good one. Yeah. <laughs> um, so the Mongols, I realized you talked about them when you talked about the princess. Yes. And. Yeah, mm-hmm. we haven't gotten to talk about the Mongols as a unit either. That might yeah, be an no, not them themselves. That might be like a multi-part. Yeah, yeah, they were big. Yeah, literally. Yeah. So, briefest recap possible is not going to do them justice. Um, they're a nomadic group that shows up during what I believe is the Song Dynasty, right? I'm not sure. 
I think it has to be the Song Dynasty. I am my years on my dynasties. I know all the dynasties in order. I just get their years a little mixed. I up don't sometimes. even know the dynasties in order. I think it's I like know the song, but Xing Zhou Xin Hong Sui Tong Song Yuan Ming Qing Republic Mao Zedong Ding Xiaoping. Right? You know, I remembered that for a test once, and then my brain immediately dumped it. I think that's for, I think that's what it is. It sounds good to me because I tried to memorize it for a test too, and I yeah yeah I yeah. think it has to be the Song Dynasty is when the Mongols kind of pop up. I believe you, cat. Awesome watch me get that terribly wrong and some like china scholar is on the other side of this like screaming at me um uh well if you are tweet at us yell yeah. us you're like you stupid booty holes you got the wrong dynasty how could you uh there's yeah. only like 15 to remember <laughs> that's true yeah well the um dynasty during the song dynasty and they're led by genghis khan who has grown into a threat to china that is the most basic recap of the Mongols you'll ever get. But, you know, China's got a lot of resources. China's powerful. China has influence. So the Mongols are like, yeah, let's go. Let's go take it. Mm-hmm. You want to mm-hmm. know how they got into China? Climbing. They didn't go over. They didn't go under. Through? They just went around it. Yeah. <clears throat> there was a space called the Jiangguan Pass. Um, and it was actually not uncommon for people to just, like, go around through one of the empty sections. Because, like, like, okay, because when you say, like, this is half the length of the equator. You know it can't be a 100% connected with no holes at yeah, any time. Yeah, that's true. Guarded. But, like, your brain is like, well, I guess they can't go around because who the hell is going to walk half the length of the equator? And then you're like, oh, the and Mongols. Like, oh, yeah, the Mongols, the Mongols probably Mongols would do that, actually. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> yeah. Um... They, so yeah, they make it through the Jiangwan Pass, and they basically, they get to Beijing pretty dang fast, and they take anything they want, but they don't fully sack it. So they're not like, which is kind of unusual, because the Mongols are known for, like, full-on domination of a Mm -hmm. space. Like, they Mm -hmm. will, like, pillage, plunder, all the really bad stuff of history as well. So, the... Khan title, the title that, like, Genghis Khan, it's not his name. Like, yeah, it's a title. Khan is the yeah. title. And his title gets passed down to his descendants, um, and that doesn't change. Like, a lot of a lot of people pass it down to someone, and then it gets weaker and weaker, but no, mm-hmm. it was kind of the opposite, honestly. They just keep getting stronger and stronger as he passes it down to his sons and then their sons. Um, and they manage to defeat the Song Dynasty as part of a huge military campaign and it's got to be because it's song yuan and that the yuan is the mongolian Mongolian. dynasty yeah yeah. Yeah. so you're right it is song okay yeah nailed it got it (laughs) we got there eventually guys (laughs) and so they're controlling a good chunk of everything and i think that i i think people forget some of the major expansions of history because we don't have them now like the ottoman empire yeah the power of the ottoman empire for a hot second there was almost unmatched i like that blows my mind how you can completely fade into nothing i know just instantaneously almost yeah like after world war one yeah like that's another good episode too that would be that'd be a multi-parter as well but the mongols are kind of like that to me because you hear about them and you think oh this nomadic group riding around like they can't be that powerful no 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 they they had all the way from china to Baghdad in modern Iraq. Yeah, it's literally basically the whole like Eurasian. Yeah. Or not. It's like 
wet or anything east of like western europe yeah it was them basically yeah. yeah and well they finally hit one that they couldn't take and it was egypt mm, and interesting. that was the one where they're like oh well we can't get egypt i guess we'll just put our capital in beijing mm. so in 1260 they make beijing their capital and it becomes the yuan dynasty mm-hmm. which is just mm-hmm. mongol control of yeah china mm-hmm. um but skip ahead a little bit we're going to go to the next big building progress of the Great Wall. It is the Ming Dynasty. The Ming Wall, as we know it, was built by Zhu Yuanzhang. Yuanzhang. Zhu Yuanzhang. He was the emperor during the Ming Dynasty after he managed to chase the Mongols out in uh, 1368. Sorry, nice. I just dropped my phone. <laughs> um, I'm most... listening, I swear. No, you're good. Oh, I know. If you wouldn't have heard my really terrible innuendos earlier if you hadn't been listening. Um, that's what I listened for. I just listened for that. Nothing yeah, else. that's fair. I am like a middle schooler in class. <laughs> but yeah, most of the places along the wall that we have today that were like, oh, this is very recognizable. That's Ming Dynasty. Gotcha. And it's stretched on longer than we know it to do today. Not just because of like pieces and bits missing, but it was just big. Yeah. If you... Um, if you drive a whole entire Mongol horde out of your country, like kind of with luck, you're still a little paranoid that they're going to come back. So, and <laughs> yeah. take you over again and be like, it's yeah. ours. And you're going to get in that whole rock, paper, scissors fight. So they're a little paranoid and they're super concerned with security against the Northern nomadic tribes. And I think that says something. So was in- the Ming right after Yuan? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, and, so basically they're like, yeah, we're going to do this thing good and strong because we don't want them coming back. And I think it, it, it's kind of crazy to me because the quality of this wall, like, yeah, it was newer, but the fact that it's still in some places in such good condition that you can like... Well, it's like the Roman stuff too. It's like, how did that shit survive for so long? Right. Well, you and know? it's like in Pompeii, we're so lucky with Pompeii because it got frozen under ash yeah. Yeah. that like we have basically early versions of fast food restaurants i know but like that's crazy i know um but looking back at you know the original original parts from bce those are just dust and dirt like they yeah. physically could not have survived that yeah. long which is why we mm-hmm. don't have a lot of you know like you said roman and stuff and that's why pompeii is such a miracle mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. so the parts we're looking at are about 500 years old and being 500, they're still in good condition for what they are. They're just yeah. not the OG. So some lasted that long because of the mortar that, uh, that they used. It was glutinous rice flour. And it... Dri- Excuse me. I have the hiccups. It dried so tightly that plant life literally couldn't grow beneath the bricks to destroy huh. it. Which is very smart. Yeah. And there was a good part of the Ming Dynasty that were like, no, this is too expensive. Why are we building this wall? And so not everyone is 100% on board full steam ahead until the 1400s when things get really kind of like tense there for a second with Mm -hmm. invaders and all that again. But that's when they start building the intense, impressive stuff with like military outposts and they create the nine outer garrisons that the military used to operate out of. Mm. And it took them many decades to finish out the Ming version of this wall. And I did in some of my research see it referred to as like the Qin wall or the like Han wall or the Ming wall, yeah. because they are 
between their building techniques and stuff, oh, yeah. it is a radically different wall. I can, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And some just and with some like places advancements of technology alone. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. Because mm-hmm. in some places, instead of just building on top of it and reinforcing, they would keep the n- old wall behind the new one. So they build the Ming wall in front mm-hmm. of it, and then you've got this like smaller, weaker, older wall. Gotcha. You know, a couple hundred yards back in case anyone tried to cross over. You had two walls, yeah. double whammy. <laughs> Um, but by the end of the Ming Dynasty, things aren't going too hot. Um, I mean, it's all that normal stuff before a country usually collapses. You got corruption, mismanagement, <laughs> yeah. all that jazz. And, and eventually there's rebellions within their own people and it's sort of just, just like kaputs. Like that's the yeah. best way I can describe it. And things are not going great for anyone. There's a lot of minute things we could unpack about the fall of the Ming Dynasty. That would be a fascinating series to do. Like each of the dynasties can, gets an episode. That would be, that would be a huge undertaking. Uh, yeah. okay. Maybe one of committing that. Maybe not a yeah. series, but we could do like the song. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. We'll see. Um, but the while the peasants are rebelling, the Manchurians who have been peacefully living, you know, a little bit to the north, they've been mm-hmm. like, "Hey, okay, let the Chinese have their fun. We'll have our fun." They see their chance, and they're like, "Hey, bet," <laughs> you know. The Manchu basically just walked through this thing called the First Pass Under Heaven outside of a city called Shanghai Guan. The military leaders in this town by the pass were like, okay, we got to choose. We can't deal with the rebellion of our people and an invading the invading Manchu right now. So, like, mm-hmm. let's just ally with the Manchu. <laughs> and they basically <laughs> decide, okay, open the gate. Let them in. And they invite nice. the Manchu in. And no mortar can save you from, I guess, someone willingly letting in your enemies who are trying to take over. No, but no, probably not. Yeah, the Manchu helped put down the rebellion in Beijing. They walked all the way there, and they're like, "Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll ally with you. We'll help take down sure. these peasants." Um, and then they're in on the ground floor of this new Qing dynasty. And the Qing didn't have a particular need for the wall. They were like, "We can do this with diplomacy." Plus, when the Qing dynasty has the Manchurian people with it, I mean, the Manchurians were nomads, so they're going to have good relationships with the other nomadic tribes, and people can't get upset, Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. it it was just a very nice diplomatic ploy, almost like marrying your, like, your daughter off to your enemy's son in some, like, medieval wedding contract. I don't know. What? Enemies to lovers? This is like China, enemies to lovers. Okay. That's the name of the episode. <laughs> Actually, that would be hilarious. Yeah, I, I know. Okay. That's why I said yeah, it. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, they didn't need it. So the wall kind of starts to fall in dis- into disrepair in some places. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of just been... It bounced around for a hot minute there. And if you think about it... Well, again, if you think about like a dynasty in my brain, it's like, oh... Dynasties are so old. Dynasties happened so long ago. And they actually didn't. Um, The Ming Dynasty was not that old. I feel like I had the... uh, Yeah, it's 1368 to 1644. So, like, that's... Very recent. The Americas... Yeah. The genocide of indigenous people The Americas were colonized during that time. Like, this is... Like, this is recent. Yeah. And Um, I think the last... Dynasty was up until like 
1800, 1900s? Well, it's changed to 1800s. We talked about it. Ming, Qing, and then the Republic. Yeah. The and Republic was started in like 1910. Uh, something like that. Because then Ooh. Mao Zedong and then Ding Xiaoping. Yeah. Um, but yeah. So it's a lot more recent than we realize, which doesn't make it that far of a gap until we see it play the Great Wall play a role in history again. 1912 was the end of the last Chinese dynasty. Okay. The Qing dynasty. Okay. Because this, that kind of helps you put into perspective that it was not a long time between this wall and our modern history. Because we see the wall get used as a defense border Uh during the Second Sino-Japanese War. Oh. In 1937 to 1945. Yeah, I was going to say, that's super recent. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. Yep. Um, And I forgot, for y'all, for y'all, for those of y'all who don't like have numbers pop out at you with events, that's World War Two, mm-hmm. um, and this is the fighting going on in the Pacific Theater, and I mean the Sino-Japanese War. The tensions had been brewing for longer than the war itself. I think that like the first actions to really oh, yeah. cause cl- conflict because the first Sino-Japanese War was over Korea, I believe, right? Yeah. Well, they've Japan and China have had a lot of problems. Yeah. So like it's a constant tension going yeah. there. But this is where we start to see the entrance of World War II being inter- like being brought into Asia directly. Mm-hmm. Um, and the United Chinese Front ends up using the wall for exactly what it was originally intended for. Nice. A fortress from invading forces. Although I'm pretty sure it's different when you've like got like the Mongols with grappling hooks trying to get over your wall versus like <laughs> yeah. a bomber flying over you and just dropping their entire arsenal on you. But you know, whatever. You use what you gotta use. Um, but yeah, so Japan Japan had control over the northern areas like Manchuria. Mm-hmm. So they were just like, yeah, we'll, we'll just head south from our little satellite colonies and stuff like that. And we'll be able to take on China. And they start their way down. They're like, ah, shit, there's a wall here. <laughs> and China was like, um, yeah, and we're going to use it to fight you off. And it, it does not end well. Um... Because all, a lot of this is happening before the official war started. But, ironically, the Japanese attacked that same town on the space in the wall where the Manchu people had originally passed through to go help hmm. um, overthrow the peasant rebellions. Hmm. But the Japanese were much more technologically advanced than them, and they were able to break through the lines in three days. Wow. They didn't have to be let in. They did it quick. Um, and even though the Japanese surrendered in forty-five. There were troops that remained in the area and refused to give ground. And yeah. in retribution, the Chinese, um, with the aid of the Soviet army, went through the area and killed about 3,000 of the Japanese soldiers in a matter of three hours. Three hours? Jeez. Yeah. Oh, my God. That one's really bad. And what's crazy is that there, I think it was in the last few years, they found a man living in a jungle somewhere, and mm-hmm. he was like... No, like I, I'm I'm a soldier. I mean, he Jeez. he he had lost contact with civilization, mm. and had lost track of just time. And it's this guy who fought in wow. World War Two and was, or no, maybe it was a different war. But he was like convinced. He was huh. like, I can't stand down until my commander tells me to. Like Whoa. I, and they had to go find his old commander and bring Whoa. him there to tell him to stand down because he was like it's just like that honor of like you can't surrender yeah so that's um, crazy it was probably 
that probably happened longer ago than I thought because I guess if it is World War Two, it wouldn't have been it would have been a while ago. But yeah, it that one's not a great moment for anyone. Um, no, the, World War Two was so bloody on every front of the war that yeah, there's very little you can talk about that that doesn't just mm-hmm. make you cringe. Um, but that kind of brings it closer to what we know it to be now. It is a UNESCO World Heritage Site mm-hmm. in eighteen or nineteen eighty seven. It's considered to be one of the seven wonders of the medieval world, and it stands to be, it, it re- well, it continues to be the number one attraction in China for tourism. Yeah. It's crazy, though, because you can still see, like, the scars of history on this thing. You can see yeah. the bullet holes in the wall from the Sino-Japanese War. Yeah, I, I bet. Until recently. Not everyone in China loved it either, though, because it was a reminder of this, like, antiquated culture to a lot of them and they thought oh it was such a waste of resources and manpower and it's just a reminder of like feudalism and the way things used to be and like oppressive Mm. stuff but i mean in modern history it starts to hold a more sentimental value so over the years it's kind of fallen back into public favor and Mao Zedong didn't take good care of the wall at all. In fact, <laughs> no. he like was not all for it. He wanted that thing gone. No, Mao didn't didn't like any of the old like, stuff. Yeah, yeah. And Ding Xiaoping came after yeah. Mao Zedong. He su- succeeded him. So su- no, yeah. succeeded me. That comes before. Um, succeeded him. There we go. Yeah. Um, but he took it as a source of pride, even though Mao disliked it. And he started the restoration campaign for it. Yeah. So while we can't like restore, rebuild all of it, at least they know like it is a attempt to preserve it. Yeah. And there are modern dangers like modern society, builders encroaching on the land, wanting to develop it out, nature, pollution, um, other intrusive things like that. But it continues to be, like I said, the number one uh, tourist attraction. It brings in 50 million people every year. That's a lot of million. That's uh, a lot of million. Jeez. Wow. And that's and that's, that's the quick wall. recap on the Great Wall of China. Wow. That was really good. I Thank was sitting you. here impressed that you got all of that in. Thank you. I, it was Seems daunting. I expected like, oh, there was a short little one about like construction methods. And then it was like, no, if you're going to understand the Great Wall, you have to understand these three dynasties and this movement. <laughs> I was like, oh God. And you're like, oh my God. It's like, yeah, this is a lot. That was really interesting. Thank you. I like that a lot. I'm ready for yours. Ready for mine? I was born ready. Well, unfortunately, I am doing someone very Eurocentric. Um, Joan of Arc. It's not unfortunate. It's not unfortunate. She, was, you're, she was pretty much I like badass, to think but... that we're pretty good about... Yeah. I promise in the coming weeks I will be better. I just feel like I've done a lot of, like, very Western ones recently. I'll mm-hmm. make it, I'm going to make a better effort to, like, expand a little bit. But... Um, yeah, let's get into Joan of Arc. I'm ready. Yeah. So, what's really interesting about Joan of Arc is that, again, she was only 19, so there's only so much of her life that we can talk about. Which is still insane to me. Because I'm like, oh, 19. yes, a young woman, and then I'm like, Kat, you're so old compared to her. I know. So, another thing that I did not know about her story was that, apparently, before there was Joan, um... There was another woman who was a known um, kind of prophet. She oh. Had, her name was Marie uh, Davignon, who was a woman with a reputation as a prophet. And she had, um, some years before Joan of Arc, um, basically described the arrival of Joan at court. Really? Yeah. And so she had this, like, vision or something. Or, I guess Did she, she called it a... she claim to be, like, a... No, she just... 
she didn't claim to be like what Joan claimed to be. Um, she was just kind of like a like I guess a fortune teller, like a a, a prophet. Kind like of. she's, but not in, like the mystical way and like the Christian way. Like oh okay yeah like God is speaking through That's me. That's kind of what I was curious there's, about. Yeah, there's going to be like um someone arrive at court who's going to save France, and so this kind of preceded Joan. I think I don't. That feels know. almost like a self fulfilling prophecy. I know, and France it, has always had problems, so there's always <laughs> got to be someone who shows up yeah. and saves them. And like, in in a way, they kind of make it. They play off this prophecy to make Joan of Arc a bigger deal. She was already a big deal on her own, but they kind of use this prophecy that preceded her mm. to like fuel that fire. Yeah. So, that's kind of the background of the story that I, like, had never heard before I did this research. So, Joan of Arc, who's, um, that's the English name. Her French name would be Jeanne d'Arc, was born to a tenant farmer and his wife. So, her father's name was Jacques d'Arc, and um, his, her mother's name was Isabelle, who I saw also sometimes went by Rome. Um, hmm. They were born in, or she was born in the village of Dom Remy sometime in the year 1412. So that's where she's from. Uh, physical de- descriptions of her say she was about 5'2 or 5'3 with dark brown hair. We don't actually have any descriptions other than that. We don't even have her eye color written down. Whoa. Yeah, I know. Or like mentioned anywhere, which is, I thought. I, so the portraits like are like. The portraits are like guess guesswork. Yeah. That's weird because I've always just took them as. This oh, is yeah, how that's she what looked. she looked like. Um, we do have several different sources telling or saying that she was like describing her as attractive or beautiful, hmm. um, but we don't actually know what her face looked like, like not even an eye color, which I thought was really interesting too. That is. Yeah. Her mother was a very pious woman and from a young age, she, uh, kind of instilled that deep devotion to the Catholic church because it's 1412 and our good friend Martin hasn't been around yet. Yep. Um, from a very young age. Joan was never taught to read or to write, um, but she was taught about the church uh, regardless. And now I'm going to get into kind of the thing that is in the background of Joan of Arc's life and what we will what will be important later. So during her life and before her life, England and France have been embroiled in this conflict that we now know as the Hundred Year War mm-hmm. between England and France. Um, so this war has been happening for a long time. What's also happening in, Fran- in France is that we have a civil war taking place between the Armagnac people. I guess there are people, but the Armagnac groups and the Burgundian groups. And um, these were just between two branches of the royal family. I didn't do too much exploration of like what exactly they were mad about. Mm-hmm. But just know that we have this English-French conflict, and within France, we have the Armagnac and Burgundian conflict. And the English kind of ally themselves with the Burgundians to fight the Armagnacs. Mm-hmm. Um, and because England sees it as an opportunity, kind of like with the Great Wall and the yeah. and the Huns. The Huns? Mongols? The, um, the, well, like, the Mongols. The Mongols and then the Manchurians. And then, yeah. yeah. Um, uh, kind of see this as an opportunity. Like, oh, their political structure is weakening. Like, their country is divided. We're going to take advantage of that. Yeah. Uh, so because of this, England England does have a significant um, kind of power. And in this point in the 100-year war, um, England is kind of very significantly in the advantage. I'm going to read this quote from um, the 
biography article from uh, the article about Joan of Arc because it this is kind of confusing and it's better if I just read it than try to explain it. So in 1517, or sorry, <laughs> already off to a bad start. In 1415, mood. Uh, King Henry V of England invaded northern France. After delivering a shattering defeat to French forces, England gained the support of the Burgundians in France. The 1420 Treaty of Troyes granted the French throne to Henry V as regent for the insane King Charles VI, who was, um, so King Charles VI was removed from the throne. Now King Henry V is king of both England and France. Henry would then inherit the throne after Charles's death. So, however, in 1422, both Henry and Charles die um, hmm. within a couple months of each other, leaving behind only Henry's infant son as king of both realms. So, again, so the, the English king has an infant son, and right now this baby is ruling both realms. However... It's one powerful baby. Charles does have a son, um, and the French supporters... Um, I, I guess the Armagnac people um, support his right to the throne. So the Charles, who will be Charles the Seventh, the future Charles the Seventh, since an opportunity to return the crown to a French monarch. So once Henry, once Henry the Fifth dies, leaving his baby in charge. Um, Love that Charles the Sixth's son realizes, hey, we should probably make our move now because this is a little baby you're at um, your weak point you know yeah take advantage of it <laughs> so that's kind of like the background france is in not a great place but there's a potential for improvement here and that's only and this treaty and stuff happened like t- 10 years after joan was born so she's kind of growing up in this conflict dealing with her life and the village she was born in don remy is in northern france so when um england invaded northern france oh. she was kicked out of her home basically um, Aww, and thing. so she was like direct consequences of her, of like the war are yeah. affecting her life. It's, she's not just in like some removed location. So during her childhood, um, we just kind of know that she was pretty much an average, like peasant girl. She apparently was decently skilled seamstress and she just kind oh. of did farm chores and, and nice went to church life. and she was always been known as like very humble, very pious, um, all that kind of stuff. Love to see it. So, at the age of 13, Joan began hearing voices and having visions. Hmm. Um, That's not normal. No. So, as an incredibly Actually, pious I'd like child. To, I'd like to say, when I say that's not normal, that is not to, like, to say that talk people. Bad. To about, like, mental yeah. health issues and stuff like that. And I did not mean it in that way. No. Like, like, like illnesses and stuff like yeah. that where people, like, you might hallucinate voices or something like that. Like... I am not belittling you. You are as normal as anyone else. I just yeah. kind of meant that as an offhanded thing. So I'm sorry if I offended anyone. Yeah, no, 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 no. I want to apologize for that one now. Yeah, I just so we're clear. I like, it, like, I am not demeaning or saying that you can't be normal if you deal with yeah. any of those. Yeah. Any of those Absolutely. things. Sorry. Absolutely. Yeah. No, I completely agree. Um, but it's not a common thing. I think it's kind of what. Yeah. It's like yeah, that's not something meant, that yeah. happens to everyone. Um, I, have, I have, like, I have never met anyone. Yeah. Who personally deals uh-huh. with that. So. Yeah, so when, you know, you do have a child who is 13, raised in an incredibly religious and pious, you know, household, country, Mm -hmm. world, um, your first instinct is to interpret these voices as the voices from God. Yeah. And that's what she does. So as the, she gets older, 
these um, voices and visions kind of solidified into two identifiable characters, uh, identifiable characters, at least that are identifiable to her. And they are St. Michael and St. Catherine of Alexandria. Um, and these two will accompany her throughout her whole life. I do think that some people have thought this is probably schizophrenia. Um, yeah. And I say from what I can see, I can see where that would be. And my, I where have suspicion a very from. basic understanding of schizophrenia, but I see the theory and why it would be there. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure if anyone is really too concerned about what yeah. exactly is caused. I mean, I'm sure there's been lots of research done, but that's kind of irrelevant to her story. But yeah. Um, one way or the other, she truly believes that these are these people and she always does. And she never relents on the fact that she believes that she is receiving messages from God. Mm. And she maintains that all the way through the end. So St. Michael is an arch, an archangel and is revered by those in battle. Um, and St. Catherine is a patron saint of scholars and philosophers. That's, Um, I, I will now be St. Catherine. Of the scholars and philosophers. I would like a t-shirt on with that on it. If you don't mind. <laughs> okay, yeah, I'll do that for you. I already call you Lady Catherine. I know. You really need me to do Saint, too? No, uh, I guess I can live with Lady Catherine. <laughs> Just don't forget the de Burg afterwards. Okay. I'll oh, my patron. My patron. My humble, my humble patron. What? I bought the pianoforte. <laughs> Mr. Collins! <laughs> Glazing alone costs upward of 800 pounds. <laughs> anyway. Keep going. I'm so sorry. Michael and Catherine, basically these voices she's hearing, these people she's communicating with, begin to give her the message that she was the one true savior of France. And she truly believes this. They also encourage her to find a way to seek an audience of with Charles the seventh, the future Charles the seventh. So in France, they use the phrase Dauphin, which basically means like heir to the throne, but it's just okay. that. So he's the Dauphin. And if you are looking at Joan of Arc stuff on your own, you'll see that word pop up. It just basically means that Charles is the, like, that's his title right now. As heir to the, throne. to the throne. Yeah. Okay. Um, so in May of 1428, she sets out to make this happen. She's like, I've got these people. I've got these angels literally telling me, like, since I was 13 that I need to go do this. So she travels to a town, a town called Valcouleurs, to track down a man by the name of Robert de Baudricourt, um, who is a garrison commander and a supporter of Charles's claim to the throne. And so her strategy, he's pretty high up in, in the army or the military, and he can, her strategy is basically to get him to take her to court and to have an audience with Charles. And she tries and she tries. And every time she, he's like, no, I'm not going to, like, you're just some random 16 year old girl. Like, I'm not going to yeah. send you to the, like, literal, like, heir to the throne of France. Like, no. Yeah. Like, why would I do that? Um, again, understandable because why would you do that? Um, <laughs> So, at this point, Joan is, like, living in this town, Vaucouleur, so she is kind of amassing what can only be described as a following. Um, she is truly, again, she truly believes in this, and so through her, like, devout, like, nature, she's telling people about her mission and what her goal is. She's, like, incurring, like, a lot of, like, good favor. People are offering to, to like, let her stay at their houses oh, and wow. provide her meals and, like, help her on her mission. So much so that she stays 
so in 1828 is when she goes to this town. It's not until 1429. So May of 1428, she goes to the town. It's not until the next year that this Bal Bal Baldry Cord guy is like, okay, I'll take you. You can go. Wow. So at least seven months she spent in this town and she has places to stay and it's actually the support of the people in the town that eventually convinces the boundary court guy to let her go have an audience with oh, wow. charles um so he's i guess he's like if you have all these people who believe you i guess i'll give you a shot yeah um so he provides her with a horse and an escort of several soldiers and wow. sends her off on the 11 day journey to go talk to charles um and I'm not sure where Charles' is, his, like, headquarters is. It didn't really say. I don't think it's Paris or anything like that. But it's 11 days from this Valcouleur place. Um, I was kind of poking around for it, but I didn't see it, which was kind of surprising for me. Mm. But um, what's interesting is that before leaving on her journey, Joan cuts her hair short and begins to wear men's clothing. Safer for the road, For, too. like, yeah, I, it's safer... But, like, there's no reason provided. Hmm. You know what I mean? Maybe she's like, she has an anymore. escort of... True. Like, soldiers. So, I don't think she's too worried about safety. Maybe she was tired of but, the male gaze and one of them just stopped looking at her sexually. And so, she just decided to <laughs> trap her I mean, maybe. Whatever her reasoning was. I'm like, that's kind of cool. I, I know. don't know. Long hair, though. It was a thing for men back then. Long, loose hair. You gotta, you gotta cut it all off. Otherwise... I guess so. Yep. <laughs> She'll never be left alone by men. Yeah, she's like, listen, I'm just trying to go talk to talk to Charlie. My God, Charlie she's over here. Like, I just want to go be a prophet yeah. for the king. I want to like tell him things. Meanwhile, the Ming Dynasty is creating the Great Wall at this time, yeah. which is crazy too. Literally. Because you realize like how crazy different stuff was happening in different parts of the world, and I you know. just never connect them as happening simultaneously. Yeah. Um, sorry, continue. but which is why you'll often see her depicted with short hair, because it doesn't say she cuts it off to the point where it's like a male's haircut mm-hmm. but it does say short so i'd say above the shoulders at least is probably how much yeah. she cut it off which is pretty you know women had long hair back then so pretty short and i don't know i just thought that was interesting because it's like not really yeah. explained and i think it speaks to a lot to like her personality and she's like i'm being taken seriously yeah i'm going to be taken seriously um so once she gets to this audience with charles we kind of don't know what exactly happens. There's a lot of legends about how this interaction happens between them. Um, as much as we know is that she promises a sign that would unmistakably prove that she was divinely appointed to deliver this like message to Charles about like how she could save France. Um, excuse me. <coughs> oh, sorry about that. Um, uh, so one theory or one story from this is that he was kind of in disguise in his courtroom, like among his court people. And um, she was able to point him out even in disguise. However, uh-huh. it is possible that she could have been tipped off to like what he looked like. Um, so we're not like fully, we don't, we don't know if that is actually what happened. Maybe she saw a portrait of him walking in. Yeah. Anything, honestly, uh, all we know is that Charles is still like not really convinced and it, it's not until that they kind of have this private talk where apparently she's able to reveal to him details from a private prayer he had about the fate of France. Oh, so wow. 
it was basically like he prayed to God and then God through the angel or the saints who were like hanging out with Joan like told her and then that's like how he was I guess or how she was able I guess to like win his favor one way or the other she eventually convinces him to like listen to her a little bit so once he's like kind of thinking about it and the articles I was reading kind of had a good point. It's like he couldn't put his full backing behind her because if she did end up like crazy, then he would look bad. Yeah. And as the guy who's like trying to win back the throne of France, not a great look. Can't have all those eggs in one basket. Yeah. So what he decides to do is he takes her in front of this kind of like jury of clergy members. And he says, hey, this girl's got these claims. Uh, what do you think? Is she legit? Is she a Catholic? Is she lying? Is she... Yeah. Yeah. How do you feel? And they come back, like, very positive. They're like, no, she seems super legit. She's really humble. She knows what she's talking about. She knows the church. She's very clearly a devout Catholic. Like, we would encourage you to listen to her. Might yeah. as well, right? Yeah, why not? So because of this... And, and Joan, um, her whole thing was that the angels have been telling her that she was appointed to help take uh, Orléans, the region in France, back from the English, and then eventually help save France as a whole. So Charles sends her to Orléans. And um, no, it's this is also really interesting because we're like thinking back to that um, legend or that prophecy that was told about someone mm-hmm. in Joan's position would come. They kind of use that to like, as I said, like make her more popular. Yeah. Um. They dress her up. Is she sensationalized up. or popular? She's both. Okay. I think she very much is both. She has like a following. Like people know who she is. She has a lot so of support. So believe in her ideas as much yes. as they just like being around. Yeah. Her. But the French also realize that this is a chance to like, her popularity, her reason for being in battle. She doesn't. She's not making any, like, command decisions. She's not really fighting. It's really more as a morale boost. And they realize that if they can play off not only the fact that she's Joan of Arc, um, but the fact that she is the person from this prophecy, that they can boost that morale even more. Yeah. And get people, like, more engaged in this fighting. So they, like, dress her up from this woman from uh, Mm. the prophecy and... You know, it's, like, a big deal that she's, like, the virgin who will save yeah. France and blah, blah, blah. Because she's, like, literally love virginity. I don't get it. <laughs> yeah. I don't get it either. But, um, yeah. So, she goes to Orléans. And even though she's not really fighting, she is definitely in the front lines. And we know this because she's injured several times wow. in this battle. And uh, other ones she was in. Um, so she goes to Orléans in May of 1429. And by mid-June, the French troops had successfully successfully made the English retreat. And this kind of bolstered the French's f- kind of feelings and attitude towards the war. Mm-hmm. And it also shattered this idea that England was kind of perceived as invincible to this point. And so it kind of shattered that idea. Like, okay, we can actually beat them. They're not just unbeatable. Yeah. Um, so that was really big to the movement for France. Uh, but, and I could, I'm going to say that it's probably because Joan was there because why not? Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, so after this, she kind of returns to Charles and she begs him to go to um, a place called Reims. I guess that's how you pronounce it. R E I M S and crown himself I as France. Best, but... So or uh, crown himself as King of France. 
And she's like, the angels are telling me, like, now's the chance to do it. You have to go do it now. We've, we've won this battle. Take your, like, become king, even though, like, the English technically have control of France. Like, you still have, yeah. you can still be king of your people. Yeah. And that will, like, rally everyone behind you. And he's like, yeah, okay, sure. And he doesn't do it right away, but he does do it by July 18th. So on July 18th, 1429, he does go to this city of Reims and crown himself as king of France. And Joan was a member of his procession during this. Wow. Event. So he, she is like in the in crowd. She's in it. Yeah. She is like a courtier. Involved. Courtier. Courtier. Yeah. Um, that was she's... me trying to pronounce things French. Yeah. <laughs> I, yeah. Courtier. I mean, it's probably something like that. I'm not even going to. Yeah, so she's, like, pretty much in the in-group here. Like, she's things are going good for Joan. She said she could help win, take back Orléans, and she did. And so they crown king. She's, like, involved. Again, she's, like, literally, like, 18 at this point. Jeez. 17, I think. Like, it's crazy. Um, however, things kind of take a turn for her success in battles. She was involved in a battle um, that was, I believe, took place in Paris, and another one kind of on the French countryside that they kind of just gave her to, like... Did, did it say what role something? she was playing in those? The same the same role. Okay. Um, but the fact that, you know, she had built this whole thing on, like, if I'm there, we will win. Yeah. You know? And if she starts to lose, it looks bad for her. I said it's very mandate of heaven. It like, very divine right. Yeah. A manifest destiny. Uh-huh. Like, uh-huh. the amount of people that justify themselves... Yeah. Using God is uh-huh. kind of, after a while, you're like, do any of you actually have the special attention? <laughs> right. Um, so her losses in battle, or the battles that are lost while she's kind of there, uh, start to not look great for her, but yep. also start to not look great for the people she's connected to. So this is kind of why Charles has been hesitant to, like, fully embrace her. Because, mm-hmm. like, once he recognizes that, like, once her reputation goes down, Her so life changes, his. he does, too. Yeah. So it starts to look bad for Charles. It starts to look bad for France as a whole. So they kind of don't want her involved in battle anymore. They're like, hey, you're still, like, in the ink crowd. We're going to make you a noblewoman. Uh, we're going to, like, give your family a stipend. We're going to put them on our bankroll. Rub that. Uh, take care of you. Take care of your family. You're going to live a great life. Um, Very generous. And they just don't want her to be in on the field again. Yeah. Because, you know, that could go bad. Mm-hmm. So the next part is kind of unclear. I saw sources saying different things. Um, one source, which I kind of think fits this version of the story better. And again, you know, as with everything in history, this depending on what source you look at, the details are different, but this is like the basic outline. So um, it makes most most sense to me with how like she kind of started to lose and then they, they were kind of like trying to pull her off the field. But she either um, went on her own without the permission of Charles VII to a battle in a town called Comping. Oh. Compiègne. Um, I think Compiègne. Yeah, Compiègne is, I Compien. think I've heard yeah. it said. Um, why did I say it like that? I don't know. Um, so she went without permission to this battle, mm. Compiègne. Some sources do say that she was sent there. However, I think that it kind of fits more with like this narrative that she would go on her own because she, one thing she's known for is like, 
headstrong. No, I am going to help France win. So even falling out of favor, she still believes that she has this, like, God-given right. Uh She's, okay. Yeah, very headstrong, very one-track-minded. And it's nothing, it's not a strategy mind. She's not like, okay, I can, like, talk to the military leaders and we can discuss how to, like, make France. No, she's, she fully believes that she needs to be at the battle fighting. Gotcha. So I guess she did fight, knowing her. But, like, we don't have, like, any sources that confirm, yes, she fought in the battles. Okay. She did get injured. I would say she probably was fighting. Yeah. Um, based on injuries and stuff like that. Being a um, woman, though, she's probably towards the back, and they were probably, like, yeah. scared. But she was, like, known for super headstrong. She was going to do what she wanted to do. And what she wanted to do, what she needed, to, she felt she needed to do, was help France um, win back the country, basically. So she goes to this town, Compiègne, uh, where she confronts uh, the assault from the Burgundians. So it's the Burgundians that are kind of assaulting this town. It's um, part of that kind of civil war conflict. And since the Burgundians have kind of allied themselves with England, it's also part of the Hundred Year War conflict and blah, 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 blah. It's all very convoluted. During the conflict, at some point, she fell off her horse and was taken hostage by the Burgundians. Oh, and um, they recognized her value as a bargaining tool. And she was in captivity with them for several months. Oh, wow. Uh, before they literally sold her, basically, to the English. The Burgundians gave her to the English Don't in exchange for 10,000 francs. Um, wow. Yeah. They committed on that one. So, and I guess the English were like, well, this is their figurehead, you know? Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. This is their so-called like the idol the yeah Kim Kardashian, this is the military. person who like believes that god is you know on the side of the french yeah um which is a problem for them because if england you mentioned divine right too if england mm-hmm. is trying to play off because the hundred year war is rooted in a conflict of like who is in control of france mm-hmm. and england say they have a divine right to that throne and the french obviously say they have a divine right to that throne too so it's a really big problem for the english if we have this woman who is claiming and refusing to say anything otherwise that she is giving the getting these messages from god and that god is on the french's side the side of the french so this is a big problem for english who's also trying to claim that god's on their side um so their solution was to try her for heresy because don't love that. How can she not be a heretic if she doesn't believe what they believe? The, True. That they're, that they have determined God believes. True. Um, and this is basically like, they didn't even give her a chance at this trial. Of course like not. she was, she was destined for being burned at the stake from like, the moment they got her oh, hands on her. Poor thing. I know. And again, she's 19. So mm-hmm. it's just, it's, I don't like it's that. rough. Um, so they wanted to delegitimize her claim to div- her divine connection. And they hand her over to specifically the clergy at the university of Paris, um, who are part of the Catholic church. And they're the ones who are kind of, leading this trial in the effort to kind of convict her and catch her in like a heresy act. Mm-hmm. She was formally charged with 70 counts of heresy, witchcraft and cross-dressing. Oh my God. Cross-dress heresy and witchcraft. Whatever. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Whatever. Yeah. But cross-dressing guys, come on. I know. It's like women sometimes just need to wear pants. I know. I know. 
I and what's more frustrating is what happens later. But oh, okay. <sighs> so this trial lasted for over a month, from February twenty first to March twenty fourth in the year of fourteen thirty one. The trial apparently was when it first began was held in public, but it turned into a private affair when Joan began to kind of be more convincing than they thought she was going to be. And until the, yeah, and until the end, like, if it had been in public, people would have heard her and they would have taken up for her. Yeah. And they would have refused. They would have, like, rioted. You know, it's freaking France. They know how to protest. (laughs) They've known how to protest from day one. So this tribunal of 131 members of the clergy basically did everything they could to break her. She was just so steadfast in her belief that they just could not do it. They interrogated her um, for full 12 full days over the course of this month. Um, they also forced her to stay in a military prison where she was regularly threatened with murder and sexual assault from both the guards and other inmates. Usually people on trial apparently would be in church prison where they would be like taken care of by nuns. Um, okay. So like a much better alternative than the military yeah. prison she was put in. Um, and they did this to try to break her. And what's more frustrating is they couldn't figure out how to break her. So she's, like, wearing her, like, military clothes, like, underclothes, not, like, armor or anything. Yeah. Um, but uh, she, in order to protect herself from sexual assault, she takes, takes, like, cords and ties her clothes as tight on her as oh. she can. And the Maybe. clergy, there's no confirmation of anything actually happening to her so that's good i guess considering she's gonna but die in like would, two months but i say but would anyone <laughs> um have written it down if something did happen yeah exactly so there's like no confirmation that anything did happen to her but like what's more shitty is that these uh, grown-ass men use her literally having to use her own clothes as like protection against her yeah and they add it as another cross-dressing offense yeah because she's still in the military clothes. And it's like, if she was wearing a dress, she can't do that, you know? Like, she can't tie... Ugh. So, I like, yeah. This just makes me so sad. I know. It's, like, really sad. It was a lot sadder than I was expecting. I know. I'm, like, feeling it. I know. And inevitably, eventually, they determine that she is guilty of heresy mm-hmm. on what grounds. It's, None. It's... Well, it's none for the rational person, but yeah. basically what they have determined is that because she could apparently see and speak directly to these saints that were guiding her, she was in violations of the teachings of the church at the time that decidedly said that the church was the only authority that could speak on things holy. So since so they she went was from like, yes, this girl knows our prophecy to like, damn, this girl knows our prophecy. Well, it's. I thought it was that way, too. I thought it was, like, just a big shift in belief by the church. Yeah. But it's the church controlled by the English that convicts her of heresy. That makes sense. The church controlled by the French was super in support of her. Okay. Yeah. But they get her on a technicality, and that technicality is, well, the only ones with the authority to interpret messages from God is the church, and um, that's actually a problem, and you're actually a heretic. Um. And obviously, like, this is double threatening to them, not only because she is, like, saying, no, God is on the side of the Fran- the French. Mm-hmm. Like, that's threatening already. But also her ability to receive and interpret messages from something that she truly believes is holy is right. violating to the church's control over and authority over everyone. Too. Yeah. 
Um, so this is like double whammy. It's a threat to the church's power. It's a threat to England's power. She was, there was no way out of this for her. Yeah. So on May 29th, she was sentenced, uh, a 19 year old Joan of Arc was declared guilty of heresy and was sentenced mm-hmm. to burning at stake. On the mm-hmm. next morning of May 30th, 1431, uh, she was taken to the marketplace in Rouen and her sentence was carried out. Her ashes were then gathered and scattered in the river Seine. <sighs> and that's basically the end of her story. I do have a few other things, but I'm, I'm very sad now. Uh, yeah, not to be a bummer, but it was like a lot more sad because everyone like, oh, talks about Joan of Arc and how like cool she was, and she like made it to battle, and she really believed, and people believed in her, and then for me, it's the age thing because it's I the think age sometimes thing. like I just don't like she's been this figure in my head for so long, and I just forgot that she was like a kid. I know you forget that you forget I forget that we're older than her kid. by now. Like we're I know a good bit older than her now. I know. Um, and I guess a. Semi lighter note: Charles the Seventh, um, once he kind of regains control of France, um, and keep in mind Charles is like very quiet during her whole trial process. He doesn't make mm. any attempts to like it's speak sus. up for her, speak out for her. That's good. I don't like it. Come, like get her back from the English. Like he doesn't really yeah, do he anything. Should have been able to do something. I yeah, like something. At least buy her back. Give him 20,000 well, like, francs. It's not like they are already at war with them. Like yeah. what's stealing one person back going to do? Like, exactly. Um so Charles the 7th in 1456 orders an official kind of retrial/investigation slash of her story and declares her to be officially innocent of all charges and designates her as a martyr. Too little, too late, buddy. I know. Um, it's like, okay, that's very nice, but she's dead. Great thought. Um, not going to bring her back. Yeah. Centuries later, on May 16th, 1920, she was officially canonized, which I didn't know she was a I saint. I didn't know she was canonized. I, I feel like I knew that, but I never, like, clicked. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, because, well, it's not one of the ones you hear people pray, no. or, like, pray yeah. to. Yeah. But I, I did know. I knew yeah. it. Like, I mean, it makes sense why she would be because she died for her faith. She died yeah. for the Catholic faith and she yeah. believed in that till the end of like yeah. when she died. Um, but yeah, so she's now St. Joan of Arc. Um, and I know that was like pretty fast, but she was, she was really young. I don't think and, it was very fast. I mean, like yeah. you said, there's not a lot of her life you can cover because it was so short. Yeah. Um, one thing I do think why, and, you know, some of the articles I read pointed this out too, but why her sign- story is so significant is, yes, because it's significant to the history of France and England and all that kind of stuff, but it's also one of the only chances we get to have at a glimpse of a life of a person like her. Yeah. It was the freaking 1400s. Like, people did not care about yeah. tenant farmers or anyone no. who was less wealthy than, like, a noble person yeah so this is like a really unique glimpse into the life of like a teenage peasant girl in france yeah. um and so we some of the only things we know about those kind of that group of people at the time is from her story and we can kind of get glimpses into what the life was like for just regular people um which is something that's really cool because like that's the kind of history i like i'm much more interested in that kind of history than like big yeah historic movements and stuff like that but yeah, that's the story of the of Joan of I'm Arc. I'm so glad I finally know more details. I'm glad you are too. I feel like, I mean, there was like specifics I didn't know, but like I knew like the rough outline. 
Um, and it was, like I said, much more girl depressing. Girl battles than I burned at the stake. Yeah. That was about as much as I knew. Yeah. And, but now you know why all of yes. that happened. Yeah. And the BS reason England came, mm. up, came up with doing that to her. But, yeah. Well, good job. Thank you. Very, very good job. Thank you. I'm glad it was good. When I was writing my notes, it was like when my stomach was feeling gross. And I was like, I really hope these are like comprehensible. <laughs> oh, no, they're good. They're very good. <laughs> cool. I did mine late last night. It was a little bit chaotic. And like when I was looking back over them earlier when reading, I was like, why not do these like, like the steep versus step? Yeah. My brain was like, yeah, obviously, duh. <laughs> yeah. But, but yeah. Wow. Good job. Thank you. Yeah. I don't really have much more to say. Awesome. Well, um, I did look up a fun fact. Okay. This day in history, August 10th, 1846, the Smithsonian Institution is established in Washington through oh. the bequest of James Smithson. Wow. So that's relevant to us. Love that. So the Smithsonian yeah. started, it was in infancy, conceived, if you yes. will, in 1846. I love it. On today. Awesome. So, well, Yeah. We'll say our closing stuff again, that if you've got anything you want us to talk about, any complaints about my pronunciation of Chinese names, et cetera, et cetera, you can tweet at us at T-I-N-A-H-L podcast. And if you have some longer thoughts about life, the meaning of life, our purpose here in the world. Wow. You can email them to us at thisisnothistorylecture at gmail.com. Mm-hmm. If we do get one of those, <laughs> I'll read it on the podcast. That would be hilarious. Um, okay. uh, leave yeah. us an Apple review. Every review you leave you saves another lima bean from being encased in Kat's elementary school project. <laughs> Save the lima beans. Save the lima beans. Do it for the lima beans, y'all. Um, yeah, sorry to like bum everything out at the end of the day, I, or at end of the episode. I know we were, oh, I was in kind of a silly, goofy mood earlier, but yeah, uh, yeah. it's hard to talk about that when you talk about 19-year-olds literally burning to death. Um, yeah, that kind of sucks. Yeah, it's not a great time. It's not a great time, but... We'll try to do something happier next week. No promises, but we'll try. No promises. <laughs> Wait, oh, I oh, have kind of a fun one. Okay. Yeah. Mine's more of a duh thing, so. Yeah. I can, I mean, I, if you're listening this far, you can have a, you can know what mine is. I'm doing the Olympics, history of the Olympics um, mm. next week. Very nice. So, because I, I believe that the Paralympics are starting on the 24th, which is when that episode will be out, which is why I wanted to do that. Mm. Um, Smart. Yeah. Nice. Well, so. join us then. We'll talk to you all again next Tuesday. And just remember that this has not been a history lecture. Bye. Bye.